0: For this this installment of the We Were Warned series, I bring you part two of Cardinal Manning's famous and extremely educational lectures on the Antichrist. This comprises lectures three and four out of the total of four lectures he made. For parts one, check out the link in the pinned comment of this video, and if you're listening to this, On an audio-only platform, you'll need to scroll back through my posts previously to find it. Anyway, Cardinal Manning, Lecture 3, Who or What Restrains the Manifestation of the Antichrist? As there is perpetual working of this mystery of iniquity, so there is a perpetual hindrance or barrier to its full manifestation, which will continue until it be removed and there be a fixed time when it shall be taken out of the way. Now, inasmuch as this wicked one shall be a lawless person who shall introduce disorder, sedition, tumult, and revolution, both in the temporal and spiritual order of the world, so that which shall hinder his development and shall be his direct antagonist after this manifestation must necessarily be the principle of order, the law of submission, the authority of truth and of right. We have now come nearly to a solution of that which I stated in the beginning, namely, how it is that the power which hinders the revelation of the lawless one is not only a person, but a system, and not only a system, but a person. In one word, it is Christendom and its head, therefore, in the person of the vicar of Jesus Christ, and in that twofold authority with which, by divine providence, he has been invested, we see the direct antagonist to the principle of disorder. Ever since the foundation of Christian Europe, the political order of the world has rested upon the incarnation of Lord Jesus Christ, for which reason all the public acts of authority, and even the calendar by which we date our days is calculated from the year of salvation or from the year of our Lord. In the day which you admit those who deny the incarnation to an equality of privileges, you remove the social life and order in which you live from the incarnation to the basis of mere nature. And this is precisely what was foretold of the anti-Christian period. If the barrier which has hindered the development of the principle of anti-Christian disorder has been the divine power of Jesus Christ our Lord, incorporated in the church and guided by his vicar, then no hand is mighty enough, no will is sovereign enough to take it out of the way, but only the hand and the will of the incarnate Son of God himself. The history of the church and the history of our Lord on earth run as it were in parallel, For three and thirty years the Son of God incarnate was in the world, and no man could lay upon him. No man could take him, because his hour has not yet come. There was an hour hour ordained, when the Son of God would be delivered into the hands of sinners. He foreknew it. He foretold it. He held it in his own hand, for he surrounded his person with a circle of his own divine power. No man could break through that circle of omnipotence until the hour came when by his own will he opened the way for the powers of evil. In like manner with his church, until the hour is come, when the barrier shall, by the divine will, be taken out of the way, no one has power to lay hand upon it. The gates of hell may war against it, they may strive and wrestle, as they struggle now with the vicar of our Lord, but no one has the power to move him one step, until the hour shall come when the Son of God shall permit, for a time, the power of evil to prevail. That he will permit it for a time stands in the book of prophecy. We have need then to be upon our guard. It shall happen once more with some, as it did with the Son of God it was in his passion. They saw him betrayed, bound, carried away, buffeted, blindfolded, and scourged. They saw him carrying his cross to Calvary, then nailed upon it and lifted up to the scorn of the world, they said, If he be the king of Israel, let him now come down from the cross, and we will believe him. See Matthew chapter twenty seven, book forty two, chapter verse forty two, rather. So in like manner, they now say now, see this Catholic Church, this Church of God, feeble and weak, rejected even by the very nations called Catholic. There is Catholic France and Catholic Germany, and Catholic Sicily and Catholic Italy, giving up this exploded figment of the temporal power of the vicar of Jesus Christ. And so, because the Church seems weak, and the vicar of the Son of God is renewing the passion of his Master upon earth, therefore we are scandalized, therefore we turn our faces from him. When then is our faith? But the Son of God foretold these things when he said, And now I have told you before it comes to pass, that when it shall come to pass, you may believe. See John chapter 14, verse 29. Lecture 4. The Passion and quote Death of the Church Now it is again the person, the Pope, eminently and emphatically, as said before, that the spirit of evil and of falsehood direct its assault— For if the head of the body be smitten, the body itself must die. Smite the shepherd and the sheep shall be scattered, was the old guile of the evil one, who smote the Son of God that he might scatter the flock. But that the craft has been once trialed and foiled forever, for in the death which smote the shepherd, the flock was redeemed. And though the shepherd who is constituted in the place of the Son be smitten, the flock can be scattered no more. Three hundred years the world strove to cut off the line of the sovereign pontiffs, but the flock was never scattered, and so shall it be to the end. It is, nevertheless, against the church of God, and above all against its head, that all the spirits of evil in all ages, and above all, in the present, direct the shafts of their enmity. Now, the church has to undergo already two persecutions, one from the hand of the Hebrews, and one also from the hand of the non- non-Christians. So, the writers of the early ages, the fathers both of the East and of the West, foretold that in the last age of the world, the church will have to undergo a third persecution, more bitter, more bloody, more searching, and more fiery, than any it has undergone as yet, and that from the hands of an infidel world revolted from the Incarnate Word. As the wicked did not prevail against him, our Lord Jesus Christ, even when they bound him with cords, "'dragged him to the judgment, blindfolded his eyes, and mocked him as false king, "'smote him on the head as a false prophet, led him away, crucified him, "'and in the the mastery of their power seemed to have absolute dominion over him, "'so that he lay ground down and almost annihilated under their feet. "'And as at that very time when he was dead and buried out of their sight, "'he was conqueror over all, and rose again the third day, "'and ascended into heaven, and was crowned, glorified, "'and invested with his royalty, and reigned supreme.' "'King of kings and Lord of lords. "'Even so it shall be with his church, "'though for a time persecuted, "'and in the eyes of man overthrown and trampled on, "'dethroned, despoiled, mocked, and crushed. "'Yet in that high time of triumph "'the gates of hell shall not prevail. "'There is in store for the church of God "'a resurrection and an ascension, "'a royalty and a dominion, "'a recompense of glory for all it has endured. "'Like Jesus, it needs to suffer on the way to its crown, "'yet crowned it shall be with him eternally.' Let no one then be scandalized that the prophecies speak of sufferings to come. We are fond of imagining triumphs and glories for the church on earth, that the gospel is to be preached to all nations, and the world to be converted, and all enemies subdued, and I know not what, until so ears are impatient of hearing that there is in store for the church a time of terrible trial. And so we do as the Hebrews of old, who look for a conqueror, a king, and for prosperity. And when their messiahs came in humility and in passion, they did not know him. So, I am afraid many among us intoxicate their minds with the visions of success and victory. They cannot endure the thought that there is a time of persecution yet to come for the church of God. The first sign or mark of this coming persecution is an indifference to truth. Just as there a dead calm before a whirlwind, and as the waters over a great fall run like glass, so before an outbreak there is a time of tranquility. The first sign is indifference. The sign that portends more surely than any other the outbreak of a future persecution is a sort of scornful indifference to truth or falsehood. Ancient Rome in its might and power adopted every false religion from all its conquered nations, and gave to each of them a temple within its walls. It was sovereignly and contemptuously indifferent to all the superstitions of the earth. It encouraged them, for each nation had its own proper superstition. And that proper superstition was a mode of tranquilizing, or governing, and of maintaining in subjection the people who were indulged by building a temple within its gates. In like manner, we see the nations of the Christian world, at this moment, gradually adopting every form of religious contradiction, that is, giving it full scope, and, as it is called, perfect toleration, not recognizing any distinctions of truth or falsehood between one religion or another, believing all forms of religion to work their own way. There grows up an intense hatred of what is called dogmatism, that is, of any positive truth, anything definite, anything final, anything which has precise limits, any form of belief which is expressed in particular definitions. All this is utterly distasteful for men who are on principle encourage all forms of religious opinion. The next step, then, is the persecution of the church. In ancient Rome, there were all manner of sacred confraternities and orders and societies and I know not what. But there was one society which was not permitted to exist, and that was the Church of the Living God. In the midst of this universal toleration, there was one exception made with the most peremptory exactness, to exclude the truth of the Church of God from the world. Now, this is what must again inevitably come to pass, because the Church of God is inflexible in the mission committed to it. The Catholic Church will never compromise a doctrine, will never allow two doctrines to be taught within its pale. It will never obey the civil governor pronouncing judgment in matters that are spiritual, The Catholic Church is bound by the divine law to suffer martyrdom rather than compromise a doctrine, or obey the law of civil governor, which violates the conscience. And more than this, it is not only bound to offer a passive disobedience, which may be done in a corner and therefore not detected, and because not detected, not punished, but the Catholic Church cannot remain silent. It cannot hold its peace. It cannot cease to preach the doctrines of revelation, not only of the Trinity and of the Incarnation but likewise of the seven sacraments, and of the infallibility of the Church of God, and of the necessity of unity, and of the sovereignty, both spiritual and temporal, of the Holy See. And because it will not be silent, and cannot compromise, and will not obey in matters that are its its own divine prerogative, therefore it stands alone in the world, for there is not another church so called, nor any community professing to be a church which does not submit or obey or hold its peace, when the civil governors of the world command. The Holy Fathers who have written upon the subject of Antichrist and of the prophecies of Daniel, without a single exception as far as I know, and they are the fathers of both the East and the West, the Greek and the Latin Church, all of them unanimously say that in the latter end of the world, during the reign of Antichrist, the holy sacrifice the altar will cease. In the work on the end of the world described as St. Hippolytus, for a long description of the affliction of the last days, we read as follows, quote, the church shall lament with a great lamentation, for there shall be offered no more oblation, nor incense, nor worship acceptable to God. The sacred buildings of the churches shall be as hovels, and the precious body and blood of Christ shall not be manifest in those days. The liturgy shall be extinct, chanting of psalms shall cease, the reading of Holy Scripture shall be heard no more. But there shall be upon men darkness, and mourning upon mourning, and woe upon woe. Then the church shall be scattered, driven into the wilderness, It shall be for a time, as it was in the beginning, invisible, hidden in catacombs, in dens, in mountains, in lurking places, for a time it shall be swept, as it were, from the face of the earth, such is the universal testimony of the fathers of the early centuries. The secret societies have long ago undermined and honeycombed the Christian society of Europe and are at this moment struggling onward toward Rome, the center of all Christian order in the world. The fulfillment of the prophecy is yet to come, and that which we have seen in the two wings we shall see also in the center, and that great army of the church of God will, for a time, be scattered. It will seem for a while to be defeated, and the power of the enemies of the faith for a time to prevail. The continual sacrifice will be taken away, and the sanctuary will be cast down. If you would understand this prophecy of desolation, enter into a church, which was once Catholic, where now is no sign of life. It stands empty, untenanted, without altar, without tabernacle, without the presence of Jesus Christ. And thus we come to the third mark, the casting down of the Prince of Strength, that is, the divine authority of the Church, and especially of him in whose person it is embodied, the Vicar of Jesus Christ. The dethronement of the Vicar of Christ is the dethronement of the hierarchy of the universal Church, and the public rejection of the presence and reign of Jesus The direct tendency of all the events we see at this moment is clearly this, to overthrow Catholic worship throughout the world. Already we see that every government in Europe is excluding religion from its public acts. The civil powers are desecrating themselves. Government is without religion, and if government be without religion, education must be without religion. We see it already in Germany and in France. It has been again and again attempted in England. The result of this can be nothing but the re-establishment of mere natural society that is to say, the governments and the powers of the world, which for a time were subdued by the Church of God to a belief in Christianity, to obedience to the laws of God and to the unity of the Church, having revolted from it and desecrated themselves, have relapsed into their national natural state. Many shall fall from their fidelity to God, and how shall this come to pass? First by fear, partly by deception, partly by cowardice, partly because they cannot stand for unpopular truth in the face of popular falsehood, partly because the overruling contemptuous public opinion as in such a country as this and in France so subdues and frightens Catholics that they dare not avow their principles and at last dare not hold them. The word of God tells us that toward the end of time the power of this world will become so irresistible and so triumphant the church of God will sink underneath its hand, that the church of God will receive no more help from emperors or kings or princes or legislatures or nations or peoples, to make resistance against the power and the might of its antagonist. It will be deprived of protection. It will be weakened, baffled and prostrate, and will lie bleeding at the feet of the powers of this world. Does this seem incredible? What then do we see at this moment? Look at the Catholic and Roman Church throughout the world. What is it ever more d- divine head in the hour when he was bound at hand and foot by those who betrayed him? Look at the Catholic Church, still independent, faithful to its divine trust, and yet cast off by the nations of the world the Holy Father, the vicar of our divine Lord, at this moment mocked, scorned, and despised, betrayed, abandoned, robbed of his own, and even those that would defend him murdered. When I ask, was the church of God ever in a weaker condition, in a feebler state in the eyes of men, and in this natural order than it is now? And from thence, I ask, is deliverance to come? Is there on earth any power to intervene? Is there any king, prince, or potentate? that has the power to interpose either his will or his sword for the protection of the church. Not one, and it is foretold it should be. Neither need we desire it, for the will of God seems to be otherwise. But there is one power which will destroy all antagonists. There is one person who will break down and smite small as the dust of the summer, threshing floor all the enemies of the church. For it is he who will consume his enemies with the spirit of his mouth, and destroy them with the brightness of his coming. It seems as if the Son of God were jealous, lest any one should vindicate his authority. He has claimed the battle to himself. He has taken up the gauge which has been cast down against him. And prophecy is plain and explicit that the last overthrow of evil will be his, that it will be wrought by no man but by the Son of God, that all the nations of the world may know that he, and he alone, is king, and that he, and that he alone, is God." The writers of the church tell us that in the latter days the city of Rome will probably become apostate from the church and the vicar of Jesus Christ, and that Rome will again be punished, for he will depart from it, and the judgment of God will fall on the place from which he once reigned over the nations of the world. Rome shall apostatize from the faith and drive away the vicar of Christ, and return to its ancient paganism. Summing up, the Antichrist and the Antichristian movement has these marks. First, schism from the church of God. Secondly, denial of its divine and infallible voice, and thirdly, denial of the Incarnation. It is therefore the direct and mortal enemy of the one holy Catholic and Roman Church, the unity from which all schism is made, the sole organ of the divine voice of the Spirit of God, the shrine and sanctuary of the Incarnation, and of the continual sacrifice.